0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. How's everybody doing? We awake? How many of you are here? Just a couple of us? All right, cool. Hey, my name's Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be with you today. Um, for many reasons. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection. Yes. It was Easter Sunday, and we had about 450 people here. We were packed. Um, we did 14 baptisms. Four of those were planned. Ten spontaneous baptisms. Yeah. Um, let's see what else happened. We uh, filled the parking lot. That was fun. Uh, people came to faith for the first first time, or they came to Jesus for the first time. That, that is just absolutely amazing. So we're glad to be together as family. Um, so usually, you know, Easter is considered like the Super Bowl for pastors. So you should take a week off or something like that. But I didn't, I didn't get that privilege. So Bill is is resting, enjoying his Friday. No, he's not. Um, but, uh, I, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a transitioning series. We're going to start a new series in a couple of weeks. And, uh, so the topic today was anything I wanted to preach at all, which is the worst thing to do to, to do to a pastor. So on Thursday I wrote a message. I was sick all week, been still sick. In fact, so if I run out, I apologize. Um, usually we have puke buckets in the front row when we work out, but sometimes we preach in season and out of season. Amen. That's not to discredit what I'm going to share, but Thursday I did write a message and my assistant helps and created a 22 page PowerPoint presentation for it. Brilliant message. Absolutely phenomenal. But I'm not preaching that one today. Um, So so that's going to have to wait. And so Saturday night, I'm like, I got to figure something else out. My heart was stirring. I was um, feeling I needed to do something else. And I wrote a, a great message on the Great Commission. And I'm not going to share that one this morning either. I kid you not. I just, I woke up this morning ready to go with that and felt like, you know what? That's not what I need to share. And so, I, I have a message this morning, and, and as a way, I'm sharing this not to say anything other than to say that at this church we want to be spirit led, um, and sometimes we have to throw out the plans we had and all the hard work and preparation, and energy, and do with what God has for us uniquely. So, if if it's okay, I'm going to pray again, and then we'll jump into the talk I have. So, Lord Jesus, we know you are real, and we need you now more than ever. Um to speak through me and through the word. I pray, God, that we would be open. Jesus, that we're here. And many of us come from church backgrounds. Some of us don't. And I pray right now that we would just open ourselves to your Holy Spirit. And that you would give us um, a freedom this morning and a lightness to, to enjoy your presence. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. One thing to point out, I have my friend Daisy, Carlos, and Cynthia. Would you guys stand real quick? Carlos and Cynthia and Daisy. Let's give these guys a hand. This is totally spontaneous. But Carlos and Cynthia are the younger couple here from Mexico, and they have been coming to our church for about six to seven months, and they feel called to partner with us to impact the Latino community. Carlos is learning English, so we have a translator in our service. We have a bilingual community. Is that amazing? And this is Daisy, the translator. Thank you. You guys can sit. They're amazing. They're coming to our staff. We're having visions of what would it look like for us to reach another population in the city that doesn't look like me, but maybe it looks more like them and speaks their language. So that's what we're looking at. Anyways, is that cool? Pretty cool. OK, so back to the message. So if you have a Bible, go to First Kings. First uh, First Kings. Um, and. And. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 18. I want to I want to use this story to illustrate a point I'm going to make in the Gospel of Mark. But so let's begin and the the story is Elijah, he's on top of a mountain. And what happens is Elijah, if you don't know, is a prophet of Yahweh, of God. And he's the last prophet of Israel. Israel is completely disobedient. Um, They're disobeying. They're designed to be the people of God, to represent God on earth. And they're not doing that. They're worshiping other gods. And Elijah's fed up. He comes and he says, look, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 20, uh, verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So Elijah says, look, guys, I'm fed up with it. If God's God, follow him. If Baal, this this other false God that you worship is God, follow him. So he puts him to the test. He calls out the 450 prophets of Baal. And um, he he says, let's go on top of a mountain. We're going to offer two different sacrifices. We'll build an altar. And uh, why don't you guys go first? And so what we see is in first Kings, this power confrontation between two gods, the Yahweh, the living God, the God we worship and the prophet, uh, the, the God of Baal. And so it says in verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you calling on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bowl given they uh, given them and that they had prepared. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy, which translates on the pot or traveling. Um, I'm serious. Maybe he's sleeping. Uh, uh, m- maybe he's sleeping. He has to be awakened. Uh, so they shouted even louder, and then listen to this. Then they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom. Highlight as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So the picture is 450 prophets on top of a mountain, circling the altar, shouting out, O Baal, answer us, answer us, offering sacrifice and sacrifice, exhausted from their frantic uh, prophesying, their frenzy of walking around, offering more. It gets so bad that they cut themselves. As was their custom. You see, I think this story reveals something that is very familiar with primitive forms of worship. You see, from the earliest form of humanity that most ancient civilizations, humanity recognized that there were there are powers in the world that you can't control. That from the the cavemen, or not a caveman, but from the early civilizations, they realized that uh, in order for their plants to grow, that they need to eat to survive. The gods of rain, or these these clouds, had to come for it to rain. Or in order for the the whole community to survive, they had to hunt. And if they didn't catch the wild beasts they were after, then they couldn't eat. Literally, they were. Or, or if you wanted to have a healthy child, and 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 your wife not to, uh, you didn't want your wife to die in child. Birth, you, you recognize you didn't have power over those things. And so early on in the most ancient civilizations, hum, uh, humans began to recognize that they had to appease the powers in the world. They began to give these powers names and uh, create stories and myths about these powers in the world. So if you wanted to have a healthy baby, you'd worship the God of fertility. If you wanted a huge crop harvest, you would worship the God of the harvest. If you wanted the rain to come, you'd worship the God of rain. And in and, and each year, as, as the harvest would come and go, you would offer more and more sacrifices. You didn't know where you stood with these gods because sometimes it wouldn't rain. And sometimes it would rain. But each year, if you had a big harvest that year, the next year you would have to bring more of a sacrifice. And, and there were priests in these newly founded religions that began to create rituals and patterns and, 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 and rhythms of life. And you would have to offer more and more stuff to appease the gods. Because in primitive form of worship, you don't know where you stand with God's. If you don't know if the rain's going to come, then you have to offer more and more and more and more. This until until you get to the point where you have nothing left to offer except blood. So you offer your own blood. And then we see in ancient civilizations you would offer human sacrifices as a way to appease these unknown gods. Are you with me? And so we read in the story of Elijah that these prophets of Baal are begging for an answer. And there was, it says, no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah comes, prays, dumps it with water. And the God of Israel lights it on fire and burns the sacrifice because Israel knew where they stood with God. This morning, I'd like to suggest that many of us, although we are Christian and worship the God of the Bible, still practice primitive forms of worship. That we still offer more and more and more stuff. As a way to appease an angry God. And this morning, I'd like to suggest that the, the most damaging way that this has disguised itself in Christian culture in the church is through what is called legalism. And I want to I want to make a point that legalism is a form of primitive worship. Are you with me? Is everyone with me? I got two people over here, a couple. Okay. so go to Mark chapter seven. We're going to Mark seven. Some of you um, were here when we did this series called. Uh, the kingdom of God. And it was on the book of Mark. And I'm just you know, I was given the right to preach whatever I wanted. So you get Mark seven. Mark is writing a story of of Jesus. It's a narrative of what happened. And he in it, there are uh, teachings of Jesus. And so I just want to pick up in Mark chapter seven to make this point that many of us worship in a way that is uh, seen as legalism from the scripture. So I want to look at how Jesus attacks it today. So uh, Mark seven, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating foods with hands that were defiled. That means unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders, highlight tradition of the elders, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing the cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So Jesus is going about doing his thing. He's uh, ministering throughout uh, the the region of Galilee, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, that God's way of life is available to us here. And now that the sovereign rule of God is available, that God's. uh, now in charge, eventually, through the cross and resurrection, that's done once and for all. And he says, you are all invited to participate in this new reality. And he goes about being, uh, teaching his thing. And the people that you read about, you've heard of them, they're called the Pharisees. They continue to be frustrated and uh, upset with Jesus because continu- because he continues to uh, um, uh, disagree with their rules and regulations. And, and they, they, he, they can, he continues to push against the way they have developed their religion um, in Judaism is their particular view of what the law meant. So the Pharisees, they weren't bad guys. In fact, the, the way they came about um, being a, a specific Jewish sect or a Jewish form of religion uh, was actually done in a really great way. It, and it's, if you study how it, where it originated, it's amazing. But here's the basic gist of the Pharisees. They believe in the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And in the Torah is the law. And there are six hundred and thirteen commandments in the Old Testament that talk about what it means to be obedient to the law, because for the Jew, it was to be obedient to the law was to be holy. It was to live the way God designed you to live, according to the Old Testament. Do we have um, the scripture? Let me see. Do we have a PowerPoint to show you um, the law? Is it up there? Sorry. Let me see if it's available for us. Um, OK, so I'll keep talking while she figures that out. OK, stay right there. Uh, so we have the law and um, 613 commandments. OK, on top of the 613 commandments, the Pharisees said, hey, you know, that's that's not all there is. But there are 1500 plus more rules, regulations and laws that we should obey. In order to be holy. So God gave us a specific set of laws. And then the Pharisees developed the oral tradition or the tradition of the elders, which is what we just read about, which will become known as the Mishnah, say Mishnah. And the Mishnah was seen as the fence around the law. So here's what the law says. But they built more and more regulations in order so that they wouldn't. Uh, break the commandments of God. So they added more and more rules. And so in order to follow God, he had over 2000 plus rules and regulations to be holy. Are you with me? And 25% of those laws, I'm sorry for all the numbers, I just find it fascinating, had to do with Cleanliness. So if you're eating with dirty hands, you are defiled, you are unworthy of worshiping God. And so the the Pharisees are seeing this and they're saying, how on earth can you be a holy person, Jesus, if you continue to defile yourselves by what you eat, touch and do you with me? And so let me just show you. So what what happened over time is the Pharisees became legalistic, right? So. Uh, What we see throughout the laws and we can go on. I want to give you one example, but here's what here's what's happened. Uh, Go to Exodus. Sorry, would you go to Exodus chapter 20? We're going to look at one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. So here is a commandment from the Old Testament. It's the Sabbath to um, remember the Sabbath. Let's read this together. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it. You shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the commandment is to rest one day a week. Imagine going going from slavery where you work seven days a week building bricks To God rescuing you and saying, one day a week you have to stop working. Because you are not what you do. But you are who I say you are. And so the commandment is life-giving. It's rest. It's beauty. It's uh, to remember what God has done and that He's created it. And God blessed it and separated it. Now, it starts with rest. But when you build a fence around that command, you, you have to identify what... It means to rest or what it means to work. And so check out what they did. They developed uh, categories for work. So rather than focusing as a Pharisee on learning what it means to rest and enjoy God, they developed 39 categories of what it means to do work. So the law becomes restrictive. It becomes a, 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 a fence around your life. So now all of a sudden, you can't plow, sow, reap, bind the sheaves, threshing, winnowing, uh, shearing wool. I'm just going to skip through this. You can't separate two threads, of course. Three's okay. Um, you, uh, you, you, no slaughtering, flaying, tanning, no writing two or more letters. Oh, man. Especially if you're typing on a type, I mean, erasing two or more letters, you can't write or erase. So there's just 39 categories. And I love the. it gets really specific or uh, it says putting the finished touch on an object or transporting an object between the private domain and the public domain or for a distance of four cubits with public domain. So in other words, you became exhausted by trying not to break the law. Rather than understanding the heart of the law. Are you with me? And so the Pharisees uh, are frustrated by Jesus because um, this is their paradigm. Live. uh, Obedience to God is not doing these things and doing these things and avoiding these types of people and spending time with these types of people. Let's continue. Uh, uh, verse six. So Jesus is going to call him out in a very kind way. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Highlight that line. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares uh that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban Corbin that is devoted to God. So Corban is the act of dedicating your stuff or your property to the temple in the first century and you weren't taxed on it because of it. And you couldn't use that to support your family in the future or your current family. So it was a way of getting out of temple taxes, but it was a way of being seen as devout and devoted to God. But it also kept the Pharisees from caring for their dying parents. So he says that then you no longer let, uh, let them do anything for their father and mother. He explains it. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition That you have handed down and you do many things like this. So Jesus says you're a hypocrite. You're singing songs with your mouth, but your heart is far from God. He he attacks a a specific practice, which there are many other practices, but he makes the point that they are missing the point of the law to obey man's or human uh, traditions. It's legalism that he, they're missing the heart of the law. Honor your father and mother, but they're being seen by the, the world as devout followers of God because they're, they're giving their stuff away, but then they're not caring for their own family. Do you, have you ever seen this? And so he's attacking the root of their issue, which is legalism, which is continuing to miss the heart of the law. They, they follow their traditions. And and I want to suggest, let me just read through this and I'll come back. Um, uh, verse 14 so here's here's jesus's response to legalism okay so their whole their paradigm their way of seeing the world the way the world works for them is that to be holy is to separate yourselves from anything anyone that is defiled or unholy so the intentions are good would you agree but in that, they've missed the heart that God's after something bigger. He's after your hearts. And so Jesus attacks it. He says, this is what you're doing. It's wrong. And then he gives them a whole new way of living. He gives them a brand new paradigm. It's, uh, throughout, throughout the scriptures, Jesus will do this all the time. They'll say, hey, do we uh, pay taxes to Caesar or not? And so the world's offering you, is it this way or this way? And Jesus is like, well, render to Caesar what's Caesar's? And to God, what's God's? So he gives us another way to live. The world gives you A or B or black and white. And he says, the kingdom. It's a little messy. He says this. Verse 14. The crowd, uh, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by, doing, by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Hold up. He just destroyed the Pharisee sect in Judaism. Their whole premise of religion is based on what they touch, what they do, what they eat, who they hang out with. And he just, in one single sentence, flattens legalism. It's not what you put into your mouth, but it's what comes out of the person. And then the disciples are kind of dull. We read this in Mark. They don't really get what's going on. He says, are you so dull? Verse 18. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. Oh, their heart. What's that about? And then out of their body. In this, Jesus declared that all foods are clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from the inside and defile a person. So Jesus brings a whole new paradigm, a whole new way To live where legalism is easier to follow over time. It's easier if it's easier to follow a list than to understand the heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? And for the Pharisees, they found it easier to uh, follow the, the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And for the Pharisees who defined holiness by what they did or didn't do, Jesus defines holiness by the conditions of our heart. He redefines what it means to be obedient to the law. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And this is revolutionary. I think most of Christianity has tried to um, define intimacy with God based on sin management. Based on what we do or don't do. I think most of Christianity, in my experience, has taught me how to deal with that list. Sexual immorality, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance. And most of my life, I have been confessing all these sins. And I think that my relationship to God is dependent upon what I do or don't do. Not what's in my heart. And I just want to make this point a little bigger, because I think if you study the timeline of the Old Testament, the New Testament, look at what happens. So the Old Testament says, hey, guys, in a community, you know what's really good? Don't kill each other. You're going to learn how to live together. Don't kill each other. Now, throughout time. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Let's not kill each other. But as it progresses and when you see the heart of the life as we get to Jesus, it says greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. Now, I can, I can find a way to be really good at not killing people, right? I'm not going to use a hammer. I'm not going to use whatever. I'm not... <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Dexter. Um, no. Walking Dead. I don't know. All of the TV shows that are out there. Ah, so, or, or this. Uh, imagine if uh, I get married... And my vow is, uh, hey, I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm not going to have an affair. Don't commit adultery. Imagine if we judge the success of our marriage based on that. My wife's not here. She'd be pissed. (gasps) Oh, heck no. Um, Earrings come off. Uh, Hold my ring. And by the time you have legal, like you literally have the Pharisees saying, okay, fence around that. Well, I can divorce my wife. I can do these things as long as I don't have an affair. And then it gets to Paul. And gosh darn it, Paul. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Put that on a list. Right? Okay. Okay. Every time I hang out with my wife, I mean, seriously, does anyone else struggle with this? Babe, just give me a list of what you want me to do or don't want me to do. I want you to, all the men, oh yeah, amen. (laughs) Uh, And you're like, give me a list of what a clean house means, right? I just want to clean. Oh, I cleaned it. What about over here? Did you vacuum? Yes, I vacuumed. Not good enough, right? What is she asking? Not to be obedient to the list, to learn what her heart sees. Imagine if I define the success of my marriage based on the list of things I did or didn't do for my wife. Maybe some of us, some of us need to start there because we're, we're messing it up. But I hope that that's not where it goes. That's not, the trajectory would be one day my wife says, wow, I see Jesus in my husband. This is the point of what Jesus is getting at, where he's, he's pulling us forward. He's drawing us to a bigger story. He's, he's calling us to, to not see legalism as the end result or sin management. Yes, we sin. Yes, we keep blowing it time and time again. But God is not after all that stuff. He's after our hearts. I mean, think about how we have defined success in Christianity. I mean, Jesus redefines the law and makes it about our hearts. We have learned to build fences around our behaviors, which inevitably build a fence around our heart. Another example. Uh, Let's say uh, somebody here struggles with lust. Because no one does. And this is what happens. This is what I've experienced in most Christian churches and, and communities in general. So I'm going to start over here. And so they realize they have a, a lustful heart. Which uh, shows itself up through behavior. OK, so they start. Uh, this is where the heart begins and they start building uh, fences around their heart. And it begins with, uh, OK, I got to get into accountability group. And so every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., I'm confessing my stuff to my fellow bros. And everyone else is confessing the same stuff. And week after week, it's the same confession. I did it again. I struggled again. Then, hey guys, let's get serious. Okay? Let's, uh, let's put some accountability software on our computers. Yeah, good idea. That doesn't work. Hey guys, let's not use internet past 7pm. Or alone. Okay, that doesn't work. So hey, let's, let's not, no longer have an iPhone because we have access to all this internet. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And it just keeps going. I get a girlfriend and we keep screwing up together. Hey, we can't kiss anymore we can't hang out in the same room anymore because we're we're messing it up we don't have any boundaries because my lustful heart way over there is not being touched by Jesus just all of my stuff and by the end of it you're like a a prophet of Baal worshipping a God you don't know because you don't know how to surrender your heart all you know how to do is give God more stuff And you pray to God, just take it away this time, just take it away this time, just take it away this time, just take it away this time. And whether it's lust or greed or envy or anger or self-worth and self-hatred. At least in AA, the first thing is you admit you're powerless over it. But in Christianity, we say just you need to be better. Jesus can't deal with the stuff. All of that's good. All of that's great things to do, guys. I'm not saying that. But Jesus can't deal with the stuff. He only knows how to deal with you and your heart. And guess what? Sin's no longer an issue for him. Why is it an issue for you? He doesn't see you frenzy in and, and chaos. He you know exactly where you stand with Jesus. And he knows exactly what you're struggling with and what's inside of that heart. And all he wants you to do, you to do is cry out to him and say, I'm lustful, I'm angry. I can't stop hating myself. I look in the mirror and I think I'm ugly. He wants you to come to him in the lustfulness of your heart and say, Jesus, what can you do with this? Because I can't do it on my own. We haven't taught people. Excuse me. The church has done a poor job of teaching people how to stand vulnerable and exposed and naked in the presence of God. We teach people how to sing songs, how to pray a prayer, or read a book, or join a Bible study. We teach them to deal with that list. This is what it means for you to be a good husband. This is what it means for you to be a Christian. And yet people are leaving Christianity in droves. Church is seen as hypocritical, anti-homosexual, and judgmental. We've lost 10% of uh, church-going people in the last 20 years. The only religious group growing in America is those that say I don't have affiliation with any religion. And I think it's because we're not being honest with ourselves. We are broken. We are a mess. Hi, I'm Darren. I'm a mess. So Jesus offers a new way. A new way to encounter God. A new way to live this revolutionary lifestyle it's full of freedom it's full of hope it's full of joy and it's full of broken people doing it together so my prayer this morning for some of us is to put aside the lists for a little bit give ourselves a break Yes, you keep blowing it over and over again. Yes, maybe you're an addict. Yes, sin is an issue and you need to deal with that. And God's going to deal with that on himself. But can we come to the floor, the cross? Can we, can we bow our knees on the floor? Can we posture ourselves and just admit who we are in front of Jesus and say, God, I don't know how to do it anymore? Can we stop pretending that we have it all figured out? I mean, seriously. Seriously. Can we stop pretending that we're better than other people or that we're further along or our marriage? We don't struggle with arguments or whatever it is that you deal with. You don't struggle with pornography. Most guys do. Can we just say, guys, I'm there. Jesus, this is me. What? OK, because when you take when you admit it, the power is gone. And when you come to the presence of God, fully exposed, guess who you meet? Two people, God and your real self. We gotta stop pretending this morning. We gotta stop pretending. When I was an actor, there was a character who I, I loved, and it was—I I used to be an actor. I studied theater. For those of you that don't know, hence the, exa- the excitement um, and the uh, the humor. I studied improv, um, the dashing good looks and. Obviously, you know, obviously. So. (laughs) So. uh, I don't know where that's coming from. Um, So Othello. Great play. Shakespeare. One of the characters in it is Iago. Iago is seen in the play as he's known as honest Iago. And yet throughout the play, he tells elaborate lies and uses people for his own power and control. He becomes obsessed with power and control. And he works out this, this, the whole scene to their own demise for his own reasoning. And at one point he breaks the fourth wall, which is the wall that you, you, actors are in their own world. But he breaks the wall and lets the audience in on the fact that he says in Shakespeare, I am not what I am, which comes right from Exodus when Yahweh says to Moses, I am That I am. I am who I am. Or I will be what I will be. And he's the antithesis. He's pretending. Because what we realize about Iago is at some point his love was betrayed. And sometimes it's easier to pretend to be who you're not. Than to admit you aren't who you are. Or you aren't who you say you are. So for many of us, it's easier to keep the masks on. And pretend to be okay, I'm fine, our marriage is good, than to simply take it off and say, This is who I am. You with me? So, um, why don't we pray together? And why don't I do this? Why don't I just challenge you? Let me read this. Can we let go of the list? Can we take off our best and worship the God of Scripture? The God we know who loves us first, the God who gave us his only son, the God who says there is no condemnation. He says in scripture that you are holy, you are saints, that you are righteous, you are more than a conqueror, you are his beloved. There's nothing that you can do on heaven or earth to separate this reality. Nothing you've ever done or whatever's been done to you. Nothing you possibly do or don't do. Not greed, envy, lust, anger, gluttony, sexual immorality, divorce, addiction. Nothing keeps you from him. Do you believe this? Because those of us who are tired and complacent, those of us who are corrupted and broken and lost, the least, the last, the losers, the worst, those of us who are easily angered, the self-righteous and the over-spiritual, the legalists inside all of us needs to come to the terms with the real God who doesn't care about any of that. He accepts you as you are and not as you should be. So my invitation is not that you get your mess figured out. My invitation is bring it to him and he'll figure it out with you. Christianity is about our hearts. It's not about all of our stuff. So I want to invite you this morning to come to this place in worship. Can we stand? <clears throat> I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes so we're not distracted. Obviously, this word is touching different people in different places. and um, We are all here, and I want to just say we are all struggling. We all have our own brokenness. We all have our own problems. And some of us are aware of them. Some of us are becoming aware of them. And some of us need to be aware of them. I want to say for those of us that know Jesus, uh, this is a safe place. Some of you need to come to Jesus. Because he accepts you. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite those of you that just want to be prayed for. To be touched by God this morning and be just come to that place of dependence. God, I've made it about all these other things. I want to give you my heart. Would you just come this morning and come forward and we'll have a prayer team pray with you. This is stirring something inside of you. I just want to invite you to come and get prayer. Maybe you're here and you're just feeling the weight of of the legalism you've lived in or the brokenness in your situation. I just want to invite you to come forward and we'll have a prayer team come and pray for you. Right now, so we can continue to worship invite the prayer team to come forward as well. This is just a way of us saying, God, I'm vulnerable, I'm broken. Uh, Would you do something? Thank you, Lord. So if you want prayer for anything, I want to invite you to get prayer. Here's the thing about prayer. Uh, God sometimes moves in waves. We believe the Holy Spirit is always at work. Some of you are crying. Maybe God's speaking to you right now. If you're feeling his presence, why don't you come forward? Because that's the thing about the Holy Spirit is he works also with a corporate gathering community. And people's courage to stand before God and wait and get prayer often spawns other people's courage to do the same thing. Um, We were just going to pray for these guys. And then we're going to sing some songs. And if you just have any desire to come forward and get prayer for anything, guys, we have an amazing prayer team. We'll share testimonies next week. We've had some amazing things happen in prayer lately. And I don't want you to miss out. If you have a hunger for more, just come forward. We'll pray for you. Other than that, um, we're going to keep praying. We'll sing a song and then we'll formally close. And then we'll keep praying. We will see you next week. But let's, let's continue to wait on God.